this last year and a half, um, my life completely took a turn. I was drinking every day. Um, I was drinking in the morning. I was drinking, you know, just all day, every day from the time that I woke up to the time that I went to sleep. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Recovery Edge podcast. My name is Alfredo. I'm an alcoholic. I am your host. And uh, usually my co-host is my wife, but uh, she is in the hospital with the with the nasty bug. She will be home tonight, though. So she re- she can't talk. Even if she was on the show, she would sound pretty rough. But um, she did want me to mention that in case you're missing her. But today, my guest is Ashlyn, um, who I met from another friend. And Ashlyn, you have 104 days today, right? Yes, that is correct. 104. Why don't you introduce yourself and then give us your home group and um, we'll go from there. Sure. Yeah, my name is Ashlyn and I am an alcoholic. Um, My home group is Into the Triad, which um, is a Zoom meeting. Um, and my sobriety date is eleven seven twenty three. How did you get introduced to your Zoom group? Yeah, so into the triad we meet um, Monday through Sunday, so every day of the week at seven p.m. Mountain Time. I am here in Denver, Colorado, and um, it's a pretty large meeting. We have about sixty-five to seventy people that um, join us every night, and Every night is a speaker meeting, so we do have speakers from all over um, come on and share their experience, strength, and hope for about 15 minutes, and then we do some tag participation and then raised hand sharing uh, to wrap us up. So it's a pretty great meeting, and um, I love it because there is so many people from different walks of life that come on and and share their stories, and um, every night I leave with something impactful. So it's really helped me in my sobriety. I know when I had 104 days, that seemed like a long time. And I'm only saying seen because it's like six years later for me. But I remember how great every day just felt. Um, You know, 101 felt better than 100 and 102 felt better than 101. And uh, it was pretty exciting. It must be pretty exciting for you right now having like new friends and just a new vision on on life, I bet. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, 104 days, um, you know, does seem like an eternity. I, every day wake up grateful um, to be sober one more day. And, you know, before, you know, just over three months ago, I was completely isolated. I had no friends. Mm -hmm. Um, pretty distant from my family. And so this, you know, sobriety has brought me so many wonderful people to my life and especially AA and the fellowship of AA. Um, I no longer feel alone and just truly happy um, to wake up each day feeling good. So um, it does seem like a long time, but I have to say, um, it has gone by, you know, quickly as well. Some people will talk about their first drink ever and how it kind of led up to this point. Um, you can share your story however you'd like, 
I'd really love to know how you landed in the rooms. So I'm going to leave the floor to you. And uh, if I have any questions, I will interrupt, but politely. Sounds good. Yeah. So, you know, I, um, I, I think back and thank God for clarity now, um, but I've thought back about kind of my childhood and, um, you know, what did bring me to the rooms of AA and, you know, the key thing for me, I feel like has been abandonment and always trying to find and fill a void um, and a lot of rejection. You know, I you know, was raised by a single mom um, until I was seven and she she married. But my dad was in and out of my life, uh, my biological dad since I was young, um, until he stopped coming around. But every time he did come around, he would make promises. Um, I will get you this for your birthday or what have you, and then would never follow through. And so I think from a young age, I latched on to a lot of things that made me feel good and made me feel protected. And one of those things was food. That was my first addiction. I would just eat and eat meat. And, um, you know, fast forward, um, and when I was 12, I, I was assaulted pretty bad sexually. And I um, started dabbling at that point into just different things that would make me feel good. No, no drugs or drinking at that point, but I became pretty promiscuous and became pretty addicted to, to sex. And then that progressed on to when I was 17, I, you know, I, I played soccer competitively. And when I was 17, I tore my ACL and it pretty much ended my career. And after I had my knee surgery, they gave me pain medication um, like they do. And, um, you know, I found that I really loved the prescription pain pills and started using them recreationally um, after my surgery. And um, because of my injury, I did drop out of high school and obtained my GED and went on to college at a very young age of 17. And there I just, um, I had the freedom, I had the time um, to party. And so um, I was introduced to cocaine, which I loved. I loved the way it made me feel. And um that came along with drinking as well. So the two of those were kind of my best friends for a long time. And, um, you know, I, the first time I got in trouble was uh, when I was 17, I was kicked out of that college for uh, being a distributor of cocaine, um, to say the least. Yeah. So I... Um, lived in a hostel in Glenwood Springs for a little bit because I didn't want to tell my mom that I had just gotten kicked out of college. Um, and then I, I, I finally bit the bullet and came and took a Greyhound back down to Denver and, um, and became, became a distributor in Denver. And, and it just continued. The partying continued. Um, and then I started getting into a lot of fights with my mom. And um, one day it turned physical. I was very inebriated and um, I ended up going to jail for the first time. <laughs> and um, I, 
again, that abandonment, that rejection, that feeling alone. Um, everybody in my life that I loved, my mom, my sister, my grandfather, all basically said, you know, you're on your own. In our family, we have a rule that we don't do bond. We don't post bail. So I knew I was I was pretty screwed. But, you know, nevertheless, that didn't stop me. I made some friends in jail, which <laughs> I think we all kind of know how that goes. And um, when I came out of jail, I was homeless. And um, I moved in briefly with one of the gals that I met in jail. And um, God, I'll never forget her, but um, she, her drug of choice was meth. And so um, I tried that and found out that I really loved it, but I loved it so much that I only did it that one time and I never did it again because it scared me how much I loved it. But this entire time I was, you know, drinking and I didn't think the alcohol was, was a problem until, um, you know, I, I also had a son at, at 19 um, and his dad and I um, lived together. His dad was still in high school and I moved in with them and the guys after high school would go to the Walmart and steal grocery carts of those three, two beers, you know. Just back in the day, they didn't sell the full strength beers and they, you know, they'd bring him back to the house and we'd drink those. But I found myself um, just in his room during the day while he's at school drinking these three, two beers. I mean, by the caseloads. And um, I, I thought it was just because I was bored and whatever. But now I understand that I think at that point I had the mental obsession. Um, and so that we, we had a child and, um, I kind of slowed down drinking after that for a while. And then, um, fast forward to COVID. So 2020, I, um, we got it, we got separated. And, um, again, my addiction, my first addiction was food. And at this point I was very overweight. I was drinking heavily, um, but I didn't do anything. I didn't leave my house, so I wasn't getting in trouble. I wasn't driving, so I didn't have a DUI yet. Um, but I had a surgery. I had the gastric sleeve weight loss surgery, and that changed my life in many ways. I no longer could eat food, but I was still drinking the same amount as I was before. And... Um, my body didn't have anything else to process besides the alcohol. So I was getting intoxicated much faster. And um, I noticed by August of 2021 is when I went to my first treatment center. I had woke up one morning and said, uh, there's 12 white claws on my nightstand. I think I, before this becomes a problem, I think I should go to rehab. And I remember calling my mom and saying, hey, um, I'm going to go to rehab. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I think before this becomes a problem, um, I'm going to go to rehab. So I went to my first treatment center under the impression or that I was being proactive. <laughs> that before I became an alcoholic, because see, my 
dad, my biological dad is addict alcoholic and alcoholism runs deep in my um, mom's side of the family as well. Um, and significantly, my grandfather is um, a, a very extreme alcoholic. And so this runs deep genetically. And um, anyhow, I just was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be an alcoholic. So I did 30 days in the treatment center and I felt great. I had, that was the best I had felt in many years, um, as far back as I could remember. And I still didn't think I had a problem with alcohol. So after I got out of treatment, I drank. In this last year and a half, um, my life completely took a turn. I was drinking every day. Um, I was drinking in the morning. I was drinking, you know, just all day, every day, from the time that I woke up to the time that I went to sleep and would wake up, you know, at two, two three o'clock in the morning with the shakes um, and would need a drink. And so uh, things just got got worse. My son um, ended up being uh, having to go live with his dad full time um, because Child Protective Services got involved because of my drinking. Um, and not that I had put him ever or harmed him ever, but the concern that if an emergency were to happen, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have been able to get him to the hospital or, you know, I definitely wasn't able to drive. Um, and I got involved with a man who, um, you know, was also an alcoholic and the combination of the two of us was, you know, <laughs> the perfect storm to say the least. So, um, yeah, fast forward to um, September of 2023, I decided one morning that, well, let me back up a little bit. In April of 2023, I um, had a pretty significant suicide attempt and I had to be resuscitated twice. And it was, I was extremely intoxicated. I think I was at a 0.3 something um, whenever I got to the hospital. And um, I was just in a place of, I can't at this point stop drinking physically because I would get so sick. Um, but I wanted to stop drinking. I knew it was a problem at this point. I was okay to admit that I had a problem with alcohol. Um, but still didn't like the term alcoholic. And um, anyway, I came out of the hospital there, spent three days in a, you know, a institution, a, a psychiatric hospital. And after that came out and just started drinking again. And then September came around. And at this point, I was so done. I hated my life. And I knew if I didn't get help, I was going to die. And at that point I wanted to die. So I packed my bags and I went back to that same rehab center that I was at two years prior. And I did another 30 day stay. And this time I had a whole different experience. I was okay to say, I'm an alcoholic. I need help. But the biggest piece that I learned during treatment was my trauma. I was able 
to work on my trauma. See, before I was in therapy after my assault for many years, and I never really wanted to face that piece. I never really wanted to talk about the abandonment, the rejection, the isolation, the always having to fill a void, whether it was, you know, sex, drugs, or, you know, alcohol. Something always needed to be there because I felt so alone. Um, and, and if it wasn't a person, it was a substance that made me feel, you know, needed and wanted. And so I was able to really dive deep into that. And my therapist there was great. Um, and I felt finally felt free. And in, in that treatment center, I was also introduced to AA and uh, CODA, which, you know, if you don't know, it's codependency. It's also kind of like a program, just like AA, but, but different. And um, I started running meetings there and I really got into the big book. And I really started taking it serious. And, um, you know, everybody talks about the spiritual awakening. And for me, it was sitting in this room by myself at in this treatment center, knowing that at this point, my family hates me. Um, nobody was talking to me. I mean, um, some of them still don't. My sister won't. My grandfather doesn't. Um, because I did so much damage during my drinking career. So anyway, I was sitting there and I, I just started praying to God um, and crying uncontrollably. And I was never really, I always had a spiritual, I always believed that there was something higher than me, um, but I was, I was also kind of like agnostic. I was so angry with God because why am I this way <laughs> if there was a God, you know, um, now I think totally different. So I, I had this awakening and I just started praying and there was a shift that happened. And so I, I did come out of treatment. I was supposed to go to sober living and um, an AA meeting the night that I, the day that I got out of treatment. And I'd, instead, I decided, no, I, I got to the sober living and there was 12 girls, ladies, women living in this house. And I said, no, I, I'm not doing this. I'm going to go home. I'm still paying rent there. I, I'm going home. And I'm not going to that AA meeting because I just want to unpack my bags. It was the worst decision I probably could have made. Um. I relapsed for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks, pretty significantly. Um, was right back where I was, you know, 30 days prior, um, suicidal, tried to take my life. And I was laying in the hospital by myself. I had nobody to call. Couldn't call my mom. She had already known at that point that I had relapsed again. Um, I was alone. And I was scared. And I remember just seeing the devil and it was like, you choose, you know, it was like, God was telling me, you choose, you either do this, you work these steps, you do this program that, you know, you feel so good doing or you die. And since then I haven't stopped. I do um, four to five AA meetings a day. I'm of service. 
I work my steps. I have a lovely sponsor. I also sponsor and I stay in the middle. And when I'm feeling on the edge, I reach out and I have more people, more friends now and more people in my phone with AA behind their names than I do anybody else in my phone. I have, you know, hundreds of people that I could call if I feel like I need to have a drink. Um, And I have a solution now. And um, I truly believe I have the cure. Um, If there is one, it's definitely um, AA for me. Um, In my higher power, God, um, I pray every day. I meditate every day. I ask God to relieve, you know, the bondage of myself. And I give my day to, to him every day to guide me. And I feel so, so good today. How do you find the time to make four to five meetings a day? <laughs> well, I start my day really early. I uh, go to, I start my morning with a, a prayer and a meditation. And then I get on a meeting at 7.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then at during lunchtime, I do a meeting at um, at noon to one o'clock. And then uh, right after work, uh, I do a meeting at 5.30 to 6.30. And then I hop on my 7 p.m. meeting um, every night. And then I do a 10 p.m. last call. I end my day with a meeting and a prayer and a meditation. And I just stick to that schedule and it fits in my day. And frankly, I make it a priority Um, and I don't make excuses. I suit up and show up every day, even on the days that I don't want to, because there are days that I'm like, "Eh, I don't want to do anything, Um, but I still show up. So the answer to your question to me was you make it a priority and you give no excuses. Yes. The reason I asked that was because some people, even myself, will find excuses like, oh, I don't feel like it. I'll go tomorrow or whatever. Um, yeah. Or I don't have time, you know, excuses. But you have made it a priority and you don't allow excuses. And it's worked for a hundred and something days. And that is yeah. amazing. I think that's awesome. It, it truly is. Thank you. A couple questions, just going back, listening to your story here. Your son is with his father. And how old was your son? When? Uh, sure. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Yes. So my son was um, eight um, at the time he went to live uh, with his father. But before his father and I split custody. So... Um, he was back and forth between, you know, me and his father anyhow. Um, but now he is back with me on the weekends right now because he's with his dad during the school week. I'm trusted again. Um, he's actually here with me right now. He's just in the other room. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trusted again. And, and he, and, and that means so much to me. And, I wanted to quickly say one thing about that. And again, I appreciate you asking is 
when I was in my active addiction, um, a, a lot of my family would say, well, don't you think about Liam? What about Liam, which is my son's name? And that didn't work for me. That didn't wake me up. Um, it was seriously the spiritual awakening and me hitting an extreme bottom and in desperation that, you know, got me sober. And it's AA that's keeping me sober. And I like to point that out because there's this saying that frothy, um, frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices. And I believe that is so true for me. Um, you know, now that I'm clear minded again, I'm like, holy, what? I don't, why would I ever have put myself in that situation, you know, cause so much pain to my son emotionally? Um, but when I was in active alcoholism and addiction, I did not see that. And I, and I think it's important to note that. I was curious about how your relationship had been repaired or is being repaired with your son. And it sounds like it's a work in progress going the right direction. Yeah, honesty um, is, is key. I sat my son down and I told him, um, in an age-appropriate way, and he's a very bright boy, mommy's an alcoholic, and this is a disease. And I'm educating him. I think it's important to educate him um, about the, the biochemical aspect of addiction. Um, and I'm just very honest with him. I made an amends to him. I vocalized the harm that I that I caused him emotionally, um, the trauma of him witnessing me beat up his aunt, my sister, which is why she won't talk to me when I was drunk. Um, he remembers that. He saw it. And so I've vocalized those things again and validated his feelings. And I'm just really honest with him. And I know... Sometimes I, I get feedback that, well, he doesn't, you know, he's going to forget. And the reality is he's not because our trauma lives in our subconscious. And I don't want my son to be my age, 28, 29, finally being freed of that resentment um, or having to go through, you know, addiction or alcoholism to numb out those feelings. I want him to be able to express them. And that is extremely important to me. So I'm just very honest with him. I don't hide anything. Um, and I answer questions when he asks because he does have a lot of questions. <laughs> the honesty, the openness, and you being able to communicate in a uh, like in his age group in an appropriate way. I think you're uh, you're knocking it out of the park. I'm happy for you. I'm not a I'm not a parent, so I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I think I'm right. Or I think I feel okay saying that. <laughs> yeah, man, sit down, talk to him, be honest, you know, whatever. I had one more question about uh, your past here. You had, like yeah. you, you had said that you just didn't want to be an alcoholic, you know? Um, what was your perception of an alcoholic back then? Like you kind of fought it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, great question. Um, well, 
the honest truth was I knew my biological dad um, was an alcoholic addict and he didn't want to be a part of my life. And I always contributed that to his addiction from very young. I just knew that he wasn't capable. Um, and the older that I got, I saw that because he would call randomly throughout my teenage years and always just be intoxicated. And then the other piece of that was my grandpa. Um, he, and I, I tried to, I skip over this cause it makes me really emotional, but, um, the reality is, is he's a, an extreme alcoholic and, um, he gets really, really mean when he drinks, just like I did at the end. Um, and he says a lot of hurtful things. And um, I remember the first time, and I didn't do this on purpose, I ate some pot brownies at school and got really sick. And at this point, I wasn't doing anything um, as far as substances go. And um, it was honestly an innocent thing. And I remember my grandfather calling me and saying, I disown you. I never want to talk to you again. You're not welcome at my house. And he was intoxicated. And again, there goes back to that abandonment and that rejection. And so I just didn't want to be, I wanted to be so much like my grandfather, but I didn't want that piece. Yeah. And so it scared me when I started getting, feeling like I was getting violent or out of control. Um, and I didn't want that. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. Now, my last question is a question that I always ask everybody. And this is, this is kind of interesting because you're only like 104 days separated um, from your last use or drink or whatever. But going back just that in that amount of time, what kind of advice would you give yourself? knowing what you know now? Hmm. You know, <laughs> wow, really great question. And if, I would say if I could go back and when I was in my active addiction, I there was nothing anybody could tell me. And there's nothing that I could have told myself. No advice. But now, knowing what I know now, I would probably tell myself to love myself, focus on myself, and be selfish in my recovery. I was so focused on fixing and helping and doing for everybody else, work, people in my life, that I just kind of abandoned myself. I never felt worthy of, of self-love. And so I would, I would say that is to really focus and love, focus on myself and love myself. I think that's great advice. And it's something that I remind myself over, um, in tough moments as well, you know? Yeah. I didn't know life could be this peaceful and beautiful, even in chaos. I mean, I just lost my job on Friday and um, 104 days ago, that would have been crisis mode, something to drink over, panic, fear, you know, the rids, restless, irritable, discontented, chaos. And today on Monday, uh, 
you know, a little afternoon, I'm peaceful. I'm okay. I'm hopeful. I know I will be okay. And that right there is a gift itself. You will be taking care of your higher power. I don't know how you think about God and all that, but I've seen many times people in the program lose their jobs and God takes care of them. You're a child of God. You're going to be just fine. I guarantee it. I know it. And you're pretty smart, too. Yes, we I talked will. about what you what you do for a living. I'm like, oh, you're pretty smart. You'll be all right. So. Well, thanks. I, you know, that's one thing I'm working on with the self-love is being able to say those things like I am smart and mm-hmm. I, I will be okay and I am worthy. And um, every day it gets a little bit easier to, to be kind to myself. Ashlyn, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And it's crazy. I've never met you in person, but I really felt connected to your story just listening to it. And I'm sure others have as well or will when, when uh, they hear this. So thank you so much. You did great. Thank, thank you so much for having me on the Recovery Edge podcast. And I hope your wife, Kayla, starts feeling better. And um, yeah, thank you again for this opportunity. I'm really grateful. Thanks again, Ashlyn, for joining us on the show today. And thank you listeners for your continued support. Share us with a friend at recoveryedgepodcast.com or find more of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen to your podcast shows. If you'd like to contribute to the show, you may do so at Venmo, just find Recovery Edge, or share us with a friend. We greatly appreciate your support. If you or someone you know would like to share their experience, strength, and hope on our show, please contact us through our website under the contact link. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.